Um, before I hand over to Patrick, who's going to preach the message this morning, let me just say a couple of words by way of introduction. Um, last week, I kind of teed up this series on vision and values. Uh, if you were here last week, um, I think it was a major Sunday for us. I felt like God really spoke and put some things in place and we're able to own a couple of things and learn some lessons and, and move on together. So if you haven't yet listened to last Sunday's sermon, can I encourage you to do that? Catch up on the podcast because it did set the context for much of what we're going to be kind of kicking off for the next nine weeks. And what we were saying last week is that as we, uh, as an eldership team, as a team of pastors have looked in and dug into to things in the scriptures and things that I've felt now for a number of years, uh, we have found ourselves buzzing, increasingly buzzing with a, a little phrase or a set, of fa- a set of phrases which you can see behind me. And most churches, if they study the Bible carefully, uh, are going to come up with vision statements that are not dissimilar to this because this is a reflection of what the Bible has to say about the local church. But for us, the way we want to phrase it is this. We want to put to you a vision that we long for us to be a church family more and more who exist in order to, make, in order to help people know God in a context in which we're known and loved together and to make God known. So very simple, bottom line, we believe we exist to make God known, to be known and loved. I'll say it again. We exist to know God, to be known and loved, and to make God known. That's what we're putting towards you over these next nine weeks. And someone's going to say, right, okay, job done, move on. But we really feel there's a lot of substance underneath that little, that little phrase. So what we're going to do is this. We're going to spend the next three weeks looking at that phrase, what it means to know God, what it means in a, to be in a family in which you genuinely are known and loved for who you are, and a family in which we passionately and make a priority of making him known to the city. We'll look at that over three weeks. So Patrick today is going to look at the first component. What is it to be a, a church family that know God? Mark will look at what it is next week to be a church family in which we can be known and loved. And I'll, I'll look week after that at what it is to be a church family that have a passion to make God known to our city and to our nation and to our nations. And then over the next four weeks after that, we'll unpack or I'll unpack some of the, if you like, the increasing depth and substance and kind of secondary things. If you double click on the vision statement, what do you find behind it? If you like, I'll do four weeks on the values that we believe you want to characterize us as we go forward to be a family to have a vision like this over these next few weeks. So it's going to be exciting. One of the texts that we're going to use and live in, because obviously in a topical series like this you don't preach through a book in the Bible we're looking to see the story of the Bible as to how it affects us as a church but we are going to camp out in a particular text uh, sometimes more than others but we're going to camp out in John chapter 4 often over the next three weeks and over the next seven weeks it's a passage that I feel God's really put on my heart uh, for us as a church I feel like he's speaking to me and us through more and more the more that we look at it so I would love you if you haven't already got your Bible reading plan sorted out for the next few weeks and even if you have I would love you to be considering spending some good time in John chapter 4 the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well if you do that over the next couple of weeks I think you're going to benefit even more from the preaching of it as God speaks to you through the week you'll then come on a Sunday having lived in that passage that will come alive even more as we preach I'd love you to spend some time in John chapter 4 particularly the next couple of weeks and we're going to come back to it over and over again to feel like it's a bit of a a bit of a signature passage or it could well be for us as a church so I'm going to read uh, not the whole chapter because it's very long I'm going to read the first 26 verses and then Patrick will come and speak into this particular priority and first component of what it is to have a passion for knowing God and all that all that means so John chapter 4 and verse 1 now 
When Jesus learnt that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptising more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptise, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you've nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or I have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Amen. So, um, good, I am. Uh, stay in, in John chapter 4. We're going to refer to it uh, quite a lot. Um, but like Philip said, um, last week he, he spoke about being part of the family of God. And we, as a family, the family of God, are a family on the move. So I would encourage you, if you haven't already, li- if, you, if you weren't here, to listen to it. I wasn't here uh, last Sunday. Uh, I was in Norfolk. Where are you going to be going? Nice part of the world. Um, just one thing, Paul, when I first met you, did I tell you I thought your name was Paul McCartney? Yeah? <laughs> A little bit of poetic justice there, but yeah. Um, where was I? Yes, talking about the family of God. And so we are a family on the move. We really believe that God is bringing us uh, into a new uh, season. And um, I think last week, uh, I think uh, you even got a round of applause, which is very unusual. Um, <laughs> not saying anything about it. Um, and 
it's because I think you're, you're, you're talking from your heart and people could really relate to what you're talking about. Um, when you invited everybody, I think you used something around the words that you invited us to sit around the family table and to listen to a family discussion. And so Philip also introduced us to the vision statement. And so, you know, God has been speaking, I know, to Philip a lot about family and what it means to be a family. Um, as a family, you know, a physical family with, with uh, a wife and children, uh, and also what it means to be part of the family of God. If anybody knows me, and I kind of gave a little bit of a snapshot of this during the, 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 the Life Versus series when I kind of gave my testimony, is that I really, part of my passion is, is to know God. Uh, I love God's word. Um, I just have always loved God's word and I love spending time in God's word because I believe that's primarily where God speaks to us. He speaks to us from his word and that word is not just words on a piece of paper but it's also deeply, deeply spiritual because the Holy Spirit is there to enlighten the words um, in our hearts. And so we're looking at the first part of a three-part series. Well, I know it's a longer series on the vision and values but the three parts about uh, our vision uh, statement, I suppose, for lack of a better word, which is that we may know God, be known and loved, and make God known. And I didn't have this in my notes, but I said last time, you know, I hardly ever talk or preach, although I don't do it a lot, but when I do, I often refer to Genesis 1 verse 1, which is the first verse of the Bible. You know, in the beginning, God. So I've done it again, so I apologize. But in the beginning, God. God, God is everything. You know, without God, there's nothing. We wouldn't exist without God. And we did that wonderful, wonderful series, the Spotlight series, looking at the attributes uh, of God. And again, like I said last time, I'll say it again. Uh, if you haven't heard all of that series, please listen to it. Uh, it's on the website. Uh, and even if you have, go back to it because it talks about God. The first thing we need to start at is God. We can't move. If we're a church, we can't we can't move on without looking at the foundation uh, of God. And so we, we read, the, or, or Philip read, the foundation passage of Scripture uh, in John chapter 4. He read the first um, uh, 26 verses. The story of the Samaritan woman actually goes on to around verse 42. And I know as we go through this series that, that we'll be looking at that and start uh, to unpack that. But... I will start with the first part of the statement, as you said, that we may know God. It is absolutely, totally appropriate that we as a church look to God first. This is the foundation on which everything else is built. Let me say it again. This is the foundation on which everything else is built. If you build a church that is not on the foundation of God, I would say it's not a church. Okay, I like saying, you know, if you sleep in a, in, in, in the garage, it doesn't make you a Christian. Um, you know, if you go to a church building or wherever it is, sorry, it doesn't make you a car. If you sleep, <laughs> if you sleep in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. If you come 
to a church building, it doesn't make you a Christian because being a Christian is not attending a building. It's not attending a place, as the Samaritan woman says, but we worship God on this hill, and you Jews, you believe you should worship God in Jerusalem. No, it's a matter of worshiping God in spirit and truth, and we will get onto that uh, shortly. But absolutely, this is the foundation upon which everything else is built. By definition, a church originates from God, is built on its truth, and if it is not, it is not the church of God. It's as simple as that. And so, uh, I'm not going to read, you'll be happy to know, the first 26 verses of John chapter 4 again. You've already got it. If you've got a Bible, please keep it open there, because we're going to be jumping around a few scriptures there. But as we look at what it means to know God, um, There are three key areas that I want to focus on. Firstly, what does it mean to know God? Secondly, what does or what should knowing God result in? And thirdly, what as a church are we doing about it? So what does it mean to know God? What does knowing God result in? And what are we doing about it? as a church. And so this is a wonderful scripture and we'll use the story of the Samaritan woman to highlight or to attribute what Jesus Christ himself revealed to the Samaritan woman about God. But before we kind of get onto the word God, let's, let's just start with the word no. So there are two words, no God. So I'm gonna give you a, a quick uh, English lesson. Okay, uh, and then we'll get on to the really uh, important stuff. But to know is a verb. Did you know that? So knowing God is a verb. It's an active doing word. I'm not an English teacher. I know there's some teachers amongst us. Am I doing okay? Yeah. Um, so we in the English language actually have a single word for the word know or knowledge, and we use that to cover all bases. I was going to actually use the Oxford definition of no, but it just was so long that I thought I wouldn't bother um, because it covers many, many bases. But I find sometimes in other languages they have more than one word for no, which is sometimes a little more helpful. And I'm going to focus on two types of knowing. The first no is to know something uh, I knew I was going to trip up on this word, cognitively. Um, That's knowing something about something. So, for example, you may know something about architecture, all right? And a word for knowing someone. So, secondly, so it's uh, knowing about something, and there's also a word for knowing someone. So, in other words, with my little illustration, architecture, you actually know the architect. So, it's not knowing about something, but it's also knowing someone. The latter obviously is more personal, it's a little more intimate and experiential. So in the context of the Bible, I think it would be helpful if we looked at the language of the Bible. So Jesus, I believe, spoke Hebrew, um, and the Hebrew word to know God is the word yada. And so I get this definition from the Bible study tools.com. You can look it up. And I'll read what it says. The Hebrew root yada translated know or knowledge appears almost 950 times in the Hebrew Bible, so quite a lot. Yada has a wider sweep than our English word know. It, it includes perceiving, learning, understanding, willing, performing, and experience. 
To know is not to be intellectually informed about some abstract principle, but to apprehend and experience reality. And so ultimately, when we talk about knowing God, that's the know that we should be aiming for. It's to apprehend and experience God in reality in our lives. So having that head knowledge is important. Knowing about God is absolutely important, but we, we mustn't stay there. We need to get to the point where we know God in that intimate wonderful way where we apprehend and we experience God's reality in our lives. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 to 20 says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Listen to these words, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. That passage of scripture is a sermon on its own, and we don't have the time to really unpack it. The point I really want to, to make here is that is that middle part, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God has shown it to them. God is not shy. God is not quiet. He makes himself known. Even if we look at the creation, and again, we just don't have time to go on to that and all the other kind of ins and outs on evolution and that sort of stuff. But the bottom line is, I don't know, especially scientists who have a far bigger brain than mine and really study these things. How can you say when you see the full sweep of creation that that was one little atom or one little explosion or whatever it is, whatever the theory is, and it is a theory by the way, um, could create all of that by chance, by accident. It's just not possible. Just think about it, think through it. As you go to Norfolk and look at the lovely abbey and you see the beauty that surrounds you there, how can you not see God in all of that? And we could go on and on talking about the galaxies and the universes and the, it just blows your mind. What can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God has shown it to them. If you want to know God, open your eyes, I suppose would be the first thing I would recommend. Mankind is without excuse. God is not shy. He has revealed himself by nature, by what can be seen. And God says in his word, it is our rebellion that has suppressed the truth about God. And so we can know about God. Secondly, God has also revealed himself through his word, which is the Bible, which as we'll go on to see a little later, is the truth. There is a lot we can learn about God through his word, and simply by applying our mind to the full sweep of creation as we look around our, us. We need to get to know God as a husband knows his wife. As a mother will know her daughter, a brother knows his brother, as a friend knows her friend. We need to apprehend and begin to experience God in reality. It's experiential, 
It's more intimate, knowing of someone, and dare I say it, it is getting to know someone in spirit. It's getting beyond just the external fleshly areas and knowing the deep mystery that is even deeper and more mysterious than the creation itself. That we may know God cognitively in truth and that we may know God experientially in spirit. I mentioned God being the, the center of everything. God, as we learned during the, um, uh, the series, the Spotlight series, uh, is beyond definition. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is all powerful. He's all knowledgeable. Everywhere, always present, never changing. He is love, full of mercy and truth. I could go on and on. God is without definition. But let's get back to the passage I said earlier that we'd allow Jesus to explain who God is as he explained to the Samaritan woman what it was to know God. And you know, when I was, when I was preparing for the sermon and I read this chapter a few times, what really, really jumped out at me was that Jesus revealed the Trinitarian God. You read this passage, you see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit coming out in amazing, amazing ways. And so we need to, as, as, as we get to know God, as a church, as we get to know God, we need to know God as a Trinitarian God. Not just one part, but three parts of God. This is the mystery. There is a lot of mystery in this world. There's a lot of mystery. Even in the physical world, there is a lot of mystery. There's a lot we don't know. But the mystery in the spiritual world that really bends our minds is that God is three, and yet God is one. And you'll see in the one of the scriptures in John as well. You've got to read it very carefully because it gets a little confusing, but, but, but we could, we'll get there. So Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman and he introduced her to God. Firstly, he introduced her to God the Father, which is the source and giver of life in verse 14. Secondly, he introduced her to God the Son, the Messiah, the Christ, the way to God in verses 10, 25, and 26. And then thirdly, God the Holy Spirit, the enabler, the one that enables us to worship God in spirit and truth in verse 23. We spent a long time grappling with these words. A long time. And sometimes literally grappling with each other. Not quite physically, but almost physically. Uh, because these are important words. And initially, the statement that we had was that we may know Jesus. That we may know Jesus. And that's totally appropriate. For, for so many reasons to know Jesus because Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is God. You know, there are so many things that is good about knowing Jesus. But we just had a little discomfort that it would actually take a little bit of time to try and explain why we had Jesus and not God in our vision statement. And so we landed on God because God, I think, encapsulates everything without further definition. Because when we talk about God, we are talking about the Trinitarian God. We are talking about God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God 
the Holy Spirit. So when we say God here, we're talking about the Trinitarian God, and that's very, very important for us to understand as a church uh, family as we move on uh, together. So using God allows it to be a little more fluid. In simple terms, it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God that we want to know and we want to make known. Or as Paul puts it, we want to help people know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And we could quote scripture after scripture referring to the Trinitarian God. That was 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14. You know, Paul knew about Jesus when he was persecuting Christians. It was an encounter with Jesus personally that changed everything. In the same manner, and we're going to get into the scripture now, um, the Samaritan woman knew about God, but it was her encounter with Jesus at the well that changed her life and those of her entire village forever. Let me say that again. In the same manner, the Samaritan woman knew about God. Read the scripture, you'll see she knew about God. But she didn't know God. It was the encounter with Jesus at the well that changed her life and those of her entire village forever. So let's quickly go through the story together and we see how Jesus reveals God uh, to the Samaritan woman. Firstly, as the father So in John 4, verse 7, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Let me tell you, Jesus is the master teacher. Give me a drink. Four words. He used four words to open up the entire Bible, the entire, I don't know, the the entire gospel to the Samaritan woman, just with those, that question, with those four words, give me a drink. He knew that the Samaritan woman was at the well at midday to avoid other women who would have been going to the well either in the morning or in the evening to avoid the heat. Now we talk, I think Philip often talks about understanding the context and you know, this is the Middle Eastern context. I grew up in Africa. It's a very similar thing. It's hot. You don't, Walk far, carry water, which is extremely heavy. Has anybody carried just like 10 liters of water before? Right, that's heavy. You don't do it in the middle of the day. You do it in the morning or you do it in the evening. Why was this woman doing it in the middle of the day? She was doing it because she wanted to avoid everybody else from her village. Because she felt ashamed, she felt an outcast, she had had five husbands, and the, and the man she was now living with was not her husband. You've got to understand the context. Even back then, that would have been really problematic uh, for her. So she was an outcast. She went to the well in the middle of the day. Secondly, so Jesus recognized that when he asked her the question, give me a drink. Secondly, Jesus knew that he was a Jewish man, And on top of that, a rabbi. And so he should not be engaging in conversation with a Samaritan woman at any time. It was taboo. It was not the thing to be done. But Jesus did it. And also, never when they were alone. And it was just Jesus and the Samaritan woman together. Thirdly, he knew that his request for water was loaded with historical, 
She talks about the well of Jacob. Cultural and spiritual inferences and connotations. Jesus did not engage with the woman to be smug. He was motivated by love for her and the Samaritan people and was about doing the will of God when he asked those questions. And so Jesus revealed to the lady, to the Samaritan woman, the purpose behind his question in verses 10, 13, and 14 of the passage. And you can read it or I'll, I'll, I'll read it out for you now. Verse 10 of chapter four. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verses 13 and 14. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus' line of questioning was there to reveal God to this Samaritan woman. That was the whole purpose he asked that question. Give me a drink. He wanted to reveal God. He wanted to show that her race, that her gender, that her background, that her sin past, present, and future was not beyond God's grace and love. And God wanted to reveal himself to her, for God is the source of eternal life. Why do we need to know God? Because God is the source of life. Without God, you do not have life. And so we have to start by knowing God. And so Jesus revealed God the Father to that lady by asking those, that question with those four words, give me a drink. And he, he answered so many other questions in her life with regard to her race, her gender, her sin, her background, and everything else by just talking about, talking to her first of all, and opening her eyes to God, the source of life. Secondly, Jesus revealed his true identity to the woman, that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the way to God. So the second part of the Trinity, God the Son. John chapter four, verse 25 to 26 said to, says, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who, is, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I love that. I, I, I was, I, I'm, I, confession time. Part of my preparation was done on an airplane. I was flying between here and New York, so I had seven hours uninterrupted time, so I was able to, I almost laughed out loud when I, I, I first realized what Jesus was saying. The reason is, Jesus is the king of the understatement, right? She says, I'm looking for the Messiah, the Christ, the one that will tell us all things, and Jesus says, let me use his words, not mine, uh, I who speak to you am he. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I who speak to you am he. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, the King of heaven, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the Christ, the one anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring healing, restoration, and salvation to all mankind was standing in front of the Samaritan woman making himself known to her in her context and meeting her needs. 
We have a wonderful Messiah. If anybody deserves a round of applause, Jesus does, right? (laughs) Jesus, the Messiah, said, I am he. I'm here to meet your needs. I'm here to deal with whatever it is that you're facing. I'm here to give you life. In fact, I am the way to God. I am the way to eternal life. John 1 verse 18. It's amazing as I was studying how much in John you find that kind of backs up and relates uh, to the story. It says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let me say that again. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. Who's that? Jesus, right? Has made him known. You have to read that a few times because you kind of read it. No one has seen God, the only God. No, no, no. It's no one has seen God, semicolon. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. So Jesus was there with the Samaritan woman to make him known. John 14, verse 6 to 7, Jesus said to him, he was talking to Thomas. We know the story about Thomas. Poor Thomas, he has the word doubting in front of his name. Doubting Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you have, would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus was there with the Samaritan woman saying, I am he. He was saying, I am God. I am the way to God. Knowing Jesus is knowing God. Jesus fully became a man to give us the way and access to God. And yet he remained fully God. So he revealed God the Father, the source of life. He revealed himself, Jesus Christ, the way to that life. And the third person of the Godhead he revealed was the Holy Spirit, the one that enables us to worship God in spirit and truth. To know God is to worship him. To know God is to worship him. If we have but a glimpse of who God is, we will fall on our knees and we will worship him. If God revealed himself in the flesh right now, we would all be on our knees or on our faces probably quaking in front of him. God is God. And so to know him is to worship him. And the Holy Spirit helps us and empowers us and enables us to do that. Jesus reveals the third person of the Godhead in verses 23 and 24 of John chapter 4 when he says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus again promises to send the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. And he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us to know God. He is called the spirit of truth and He leads into all truth. I have 10 minutes left, so I have to go like the clappers. So you can see 
What is it to know God? To know God is to know the source of life. Our satisfaction comes from him. Our life as a church has to be centered upon God. If it is not, as I said earlier, it's, we're not a church. We recognize the Trinitarian God. God is three, but God is one, and we access the life of God through Jesus the Messiah. Remember the word yada, to know to apprehend and experience the reality. We experience God through his word and the work of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit that leads us in all truth. That's point number one. (laughs) The other two are actually shorter. Secondly, what does knowing God result in? What does it, how, how does it change things for us? A few weeks back, I shared my testimony and, and life verses, and I related or explained how I could relate to Paul when he said in 1 Corinthians 1.26 that not many of us were wise, influential, or of noble birth when God called us. God rescued me from the curse of abuse and alcoholism in my family and put me on a new trajectory, the trajectory of eternal life. In a similar way, God through Jesus was offering the Samaritan woman A similar thing, she was a Samaritan, despised by the Jews, a woman who had five husbands, and the man she was living with was not her husband. God God rescued her. Um, And this was the reason, as I said earlier, she was at the well at midday. So we see in John chapter four that Jesus revealed that knowing God results in many things, but I just want to highlight four things very quickly. One we've already touched on. Knowing God brings eternal life. If you want eternal life, if you want life everlasting, if you want to be like Jesus said, if you want to be in that place where you never thirst again, you need to come to God. And, get, and, and it's from God that we have eternal life. John chapter 4, verse 39, which we didn't read earlier, but you'll read later in the coming weeks, says many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. John 17 verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So knowing God results in eternal life. Secondly, knowing God results in being known and loved. Jesus knew all that the Samaritan woman ever did. But she was not only known, but also loved. And I know that um, in the coming weeks, that's going to be unpacked in a lot more uh, depth. But despite knowing all that she ever did, he did not come to condemn her. Earlier in the Gospel of John, we read the famous, famous scripture, John 3, verse 16 and 17, for God so loved the world. You should all be able to say it without looking at your Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world may be saved through him. Being known and being loved. Eternal life, being known and loved. The third thing that this results in, knowing God, results, as I said earlier, in worship. It has to result in worship. Understanding who God is and what he has done for us results in worship. John 4, 23, 24, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit 
and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And fourthly, on what does it result in, is it results in evangelism. It's a result in making God known. Knowing God will result in evangelism because in making God known to others through our testimony, like I quoted earlier in John 4, verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And Philip's going to spend a whole morning uh, looking at that. And then finally, my, my third point. So what does it mean to know God? What does it result in? And then what are we doing about it? Man must know God in order to fulfill his purposes uh, or to fulfill his purpose of existence. As a church and as a body, we must know God to fulfill his purposes in us. How are we going to do this? What practically, what's the application that we're going to, to have? Firstly, we're going to preach and teach the Bible, the word of God. I know that's simple, you know, but... It's critically important. As a church, if we want people to know God, we have to teach the Bible in its fullness. The word of God is truth, and Jesus is the word. John 1, verse 1 to 2 says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And John 1, 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The preaching of God's word, the preeminence of truth by which we will lead our lives and hold ourselves accountable. We will live by the truth of God's word and very, very importantly in this day and age, not by every whim of new doctrine or shift of culture. And there's a tsunami of culture coming upon the church which is challenging the truths and the principles that we see in God's word on a daily basis. We have to, have to preach the word of God. We've got to stand on the foundation of preaching the word of God in all its fullness. The second way that we practically apply knowing God is being filled with and having fellowship with and being led by the Holy Spirit. There's so much we could talk about there. We just don't have the time. But I would just say that we don't only want to see the gifts of the Spirit. We also want to see the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, we want to see the fruit of the Spirit before we see the gifts of the Spirit. You can almost get by without the gifts if you've got the fruit. You can't get by if you've got the gifts and you've got no fruit because you're just going to fall over some way. And so we need to be led by the Spirit of God, and we need to see the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives and in the lives of this community, but also be led by the Holy Spirit in worship with the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not demeaning the gifts of the Spirit. We need the gifts of the Spirit, but we need to have it balanced with the fruit of the Spirit. I've mentioned worship, and so we've just got to, it goes without saying. And so our Sunday services, I think, will focus very much on God, the preaching of his word, and worship where we are led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The fourth area is community. We want the church to be, play, to be a place known and where we are known and loved. We should experience this at our Sunday service, but also more intimately, probably, through our life groups. 
It is definitely easier, as I'm sure you know, to build community in smaller groups, in safe places where we are known and loved. Finally, we want to be a church that makes God known through evangelism and social action, through our Sunday services, through life groups, and other streams. And we don't have the time to go into that today, and I didn't plan to because Mark and Philip are going to go into those areas in far more detail. So in conclusion, you'll be glad to know. The Westminster Catechism summarizes our purpose as this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In order to achieve our chief end or our chief aim as mankind, we must know God. We must have an awareness of who he is, what he's like, who we are in the light of that, and how we can fulfill our purpose in him. That we may know God, be known and loved, and make God known. Amen.